welcome to the Profiles in Persistence show. I'm Dusty Rollins, founder and owner of Oxford Business Services. We help entrepreneurs and business owners maximize their profit and minimize their taxes. We believe there should be limits to how much the IRS can punish your success. Stick around to the end of the show and we'll reveal how you can be our next guest on this great inspirational daily podcast. Let's go. everyone. This is Tom Fox, and we are here for an episode with Dusty Rollins. He has one of the most interesting stories I have come across in some time, so I am really intrigued and excited to hear this. Dusty, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Thank you, Tom. I'm very excited. Thank you. So so, um, I'm a native Texan. I grew up in a little town in Central Texas. You did not. Uh, You had a very, very different upbringing, so I thought we'd just start with that. Sure. You know, um, from the ages of 10 to 16, I lived in Asia. I grew up in a boarding school in Asia. And, you know, those are very formative years. And when you're sitting there, plus this was, everyone has to remember, this was pre-internet, right? So, uh, you know, you didn't just phone call, you didn't do FaceTime or, or, you know, any of the modern conveniences we have now. So communicating back to the States and to family and friends and culture was very hard. But, you know, from 10 to 16 is very formative years. And I grew up in a boarding school. And during the time, I wasn't grateful for it, right? <laughs> you know, we we felt like we were missing out on something and, and everything we wanted to be uh, back in the States. But now when I look back, um, I'm actually trying to give my kids th- some of those experiences. So where I grew up on the island of Penang, Malaysia, we um, we go back, trying to go back every year. COVID has hit us right now. We're, we're stuck, can't go back. But um, uh, we try to go back once a year so that my kids can really experience what it's like to throw uh, to grow up in a culture like that, a different culture. So um, you also uh, went to university overseas, and uh, I rarely get to interview a fellow Oxford grad, but I did a summer study there, so I get to call myself an Oxford grad, but I wanted to, for you to maybe talk about your experiences, not only as an expat and an American at Oxford, but the Oxford educational experience and how that's helped inform you going forward. Excellent. Well, I went over, Tom, similar to you, I'm sure, an exchange program. And then while over there, I stayed, I, I got into another program because I didn't have the the pure academics to get in. I had to backdoor you know, my way in because I tell people growing up or, or all, all, all through my schooling years, I love learning, but I hated school, right? So one of the appeals to Oxford was how independent it is. You know, it's very, it's not structured. It's not rigid. It's kind of at the end, of, it's like entrepreneurs like us at the end of the, of your program, two years, three years, you're just graded on, on, on your work product and it either passes or doesn't. So they don't care if you go to class and all this. And so other than, you know, I never liked beer much, Tom. Um, and, and if I do drink it, it has to be very chilled. So the number one lesson I learned was I dislike warm beer even more <laughs> than chilled beer. But, you know, the Oxford experience, that's what I love. I didn't, you know, I, this was a while ago and I didn't learn anything that I use in a daily basis uh, fact-wise or information-wise. What I learned was a lot about ideas and researching those ideas. And then I think it gave me some confidence because 
to a degree, and I'm sure you saw this too, Tom, you know, these are on the higher level, the higher echelons of education. And, and there's a lot of just stupid people there, right? There's a lot of no, you know, no common sense and, and they put their pants on one leg at a time. So it kind of gave me some confidence that, Hey, I've seen the top and it ain't all that if I can use a, a, a euphemism. So I think it gave me confidence in what I'm doing now on particularly on the tax side, that I, I'm able to go research these strategies and ideas and find the top ones in the world. And I know how to do that. So, so it gave me a good foundation. And I go back, I went back last July for a little sabbatical, stayed in Merton College, you probably know, um, you know, smoked a cigar by the table where C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien would have uh, there's several pictures of them smoking a cigar right there. I mean, uh, pipes right there. So I love the ambiance, the experience, and it taught me about strategies and research and, and really independent thinking. I really like the way you tied that to entrepreneurship. I had really not thought about that uh, as much um, because uh, I grew up in a education household. My dad was a prof right. and my mom was a teacher. So that was very important to them. And uh, reading and studying was important. So I always did that. But the, the thing that I uh, kind of equated my Oxford experience to um, is curiosity. I'm insatiably, uh, insatiably curious. And it seemed to me that the people that I was around at Oxford were also insatiably curious, at least the ones that applied themselves. I like that. Yep. And that was a big lesson in leadership for me that I try to communicate that uh, in uh, whatever field you're in, if you're curious, uh, you're going to tend to be open to new ideas. I love it. So uh, tell us a little bit about your professional experience now, because uh, this is equally interesting. <laughs> well, after so after studying at Oxford, I came back to the States. I've lived most of my life in in Florida and really like it. Um, although I had a segment there where we lived in Atlanta, Georgia, and we love that, but I like Florida even more. Uh, the weather is, is suits my upbringing and and my early days of being in a, growing up in a boarding school in the tropics uh, prepped me for liking hot. You know, if it drops below sixty, we're in survival mode. You know, <laughs> like we we get really concerned. <laughs> so. Um, when I came back, I was actually a pastor for a couple of years because I loved um, some of those aspects and the motivational aspects and the working with people aspects. But that was just, it was kind of a mutually uh, decided thing that it wasn't a good fit. So after that, uh, initially I got into real estate investing. Um, you know, that, so isn't that a natural path, right? You know, everyone does that. So I, you know, because I didn't have the business uh, training. I had history and theology and literature training, but not business. Um, so again, I researched it. I, I found my way. I learned how to, to plow into that. And so as I began to become more and more versed in the business world, I noticed that I, I remember it was about the third year, the first two years of anything you're doing, you're just trying to survive and get, get going. But about that third year, uh, my accountant at the time said, you know, this is what you owe in taxes. And I was just floored because I was like, I didn't feel like I had made very much money, you know, relatively. And yet I owed a whole bunch of taxes. And that is kind of back to your uh, comment, Tom, about Oxford and insatiable curiosity. I, I knew there were 
uh, uh, one one guy early on even told me there are two tax codes, one for the informed and one for the uninformed, and you get to decide which one you participate in. And so I knew from an early stage of my business career, there had to be a better way. So I started that journey of re- researching and learning beyond just what an accountant or CPA will tell you. What's, what's you know, go beyond that level. And that's how I kind of defaulted into uh, tax planning. What led you to found the Oxford Business Services? You know, it's a great question because what happened is when I was on this journey, like I just mentioned, at that time I had a painting company. And, um, you know, every couple of times a year, my wife, you know, nags me to paint some wall or some room or something, you know, and, and I'll say, okay, we'll make the call. And she said, well, you had a painting company. I always say, you know, I had a painting company. It doesn't mean I'm a good painter. I ran a painting company. I'm a terrible painter and hate it even more, but I like the business. And so uh, what happened is as I began to develop some of these strategies, you know, how you talk to fellow business owners and entrepreneurs, and they kept asking me about this. And then it just kept in it. What, what kept intriguing me, Tom, was the fact that you have this entire industry. I, I've read estimates, there's 700,000 CPAs in the US. That's just an astronomical amount. And you need them. I mean, you know, if you don't file taxes for a long time, you know, there's a potential to go to jail. You need them to help you file your taxes. What amazed me was the vast cavern between having someone prepare your taxes and having someone strategically plan out so that you pay the least amount that's possible and legal to pay. And that chasm is why I developed Oxford Business Services. So let me turn to some of the most common mistakes that you see small business owners make in their tax planning and even in their tax preparation. Great. And I I, I want people, I'm just looking at a sheet because I, I, I wrote a few things down because I, I I'm a talker. I get on these rabbit trails. So I just wanted people to know I just had this little sheet to try to keep me on, on target myself. So uh, great question. And, and, and here's, Tom, overall what I see, the biggest issue is they, this business owner gets going running their business. And invariably, everyone, including myself, we hate taxes. You know, to me, if, you're, if you love sitting around and just you know, going through all of this stuff, you're, there's something wrong with you. You know, there's something not adjusted. And so I come into it. I don't enjoy reading the tax code. I don't enjoy reading through these strategies and these mundane little forms. But so, so what happens, the business owner starts running their business and then they default it. So here's the biggest mistake. They default their tax. So when I'm talking to a business owner, a lot of times they'll, you know, they'll, they'll start talking. I'll, they'll find out that, what do you do, Dusty? Well, I'm a, tax planning. Uh, I'm a tax strategist. I do tax planning. And they'll always say, oh, I've got a great accountant. I've got a great CPA. And and I'm sure they do. I, you know, I always, I always want to ask, sometimes I do, you know, well, how do you know, (laughs) right? Like, uh, how do you know it's they're, 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 you know, if you overpay your taxes, you never get audited. So the, one of the questions that, or, or what are the mistakes I'm seeing them make is they're just defaulting it. And it doesn't mean that this business owner needs to become a tax expert, just like I think, you know, you're an attorney, uh, I believe, Tom. And so it's it's similar to the legal profession. You know, as an entrepreneur, I need to know enough to kind of guide my legal teams, but I don't have to become a, a lawyer. You know, that's your job. That's your training and expertise. I just need, but I do need to not just depend on, just turn it all over to Tom you know, I want to have some ideas about where we're heading, you know, and, and input. Um, 
There was a study a while. They used to do this a lot. I haven't seen it in a while, but they would send, I forget the group that even did it. Um, it was one of the financial groups, but they would take a tax return, a business owner's tax return. So a personal and a business tax return. And they would send the exact, the identical forms to 50 different CPAs. And they got 50 different returns. And some of them, you know, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but probably half of them were in the similar range, right? But I'll promise you, there were some that had this, this guy owing big money and some that had him getting a refund. And so that really, it, it, to me, encapsulates the danger of defaulting to the CPA without having actually doing the, this tax planning and making sure you're thinking ahead. Uh, 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 a good illustration, I think, Tom, is I call it playing checkers versus playing chess. You know, so checkers, you're you're looking at the next move and the next move and the next move. Chess, uh, uh, you've got a, a good chess player, of which I am not. I'm a good tax chess player. I'm not a good normal chess player. But they're looking three or four moves ahead, right? Uh, a good chess player would beat me. I, you know, I'd move two moves and the good chess player would already have killed, you know, would have already beaten me in the game because they're moving three or four moves ahead because they know I'm going to do this. They're going to do that. They know how I'll react to that. That's a lot like tax planning. Tax planning isn't just a deduction today. Can I write off my electric car? Can I write off my large SUV that weighs over 6,000 pounds? Those are important things. Those are deductions and write-offs, but it's important to plan, to know where are we going beyond this year? What's my goals for five years, 10 years, 15 years down the road? Last uh, big mistake I see business owners make, Tom, is when it comes to selling their business. And so when tax planning is important year to year, when you're cash flowing your business and you're pulling profit off, it is infinitely as or more important when you're thinking about going to sell. And you know studies are showing a whole bunch of business owners are thinking about selling and, and wanting to sell and a lot of starting to move into that retirement um, zone and, and wanting to sell. And that's where you can either give up a huge chunk of your entire life's devotion and effort to the government or give up just a small piece. It really is your choice. And it depends on whether you get good planning or not. So what's the process you use to help a small business owner think through some of these issues and correct these mistakes? Uh, great question, Tom. And, and, you know, we went round and round in terms of how, how our team, how, how can we help the business owner? How can we get plugged in? And what we think is the best and simplest way for everybody is we do what's called a tax plan. This is a one-time, so we charge a one-time fee and it's a one-time, you know, it's an actual tax plan. You get a cover and, you know, all these steps for saving taxes. And what we do when we get a new client, they send us their last two years of tax returns, P&Ls, a few of those things. So it's not time consuming for the business owner. And then, but we're able to go through and look at the question at, at where they're at, what they've been doing the past two years. Then what's very important is we have a phone call with them to go over where they are currently, you know, because usually they're in that year. And oftentimes they're in a year that's up because they're really thinking about tax planning because they know, you know, they paid a good bit last year and they're up this year. So in their mind, the back of their minds, they know that the whack is coming. And so what, what that allows us to do is kind of have that initial conversation and, and prove the value, quite frankly, to the business owner without any kind of, you know, number one, they don't have to fire their current CPA uh, or accountant at all. They can keep working with them. Our strategies are kind of a, a bolt on 
to what they're already doing. And then secondly, so it's not as big a commitment. And then secondly, it's this one-time tax plan. We guarantee it or your money back and you know that we're going to find the savings. And so that really, from what we're hearing, really relieves a lot of the pressure in the, in the business owner's mind is they really have nothing to lose in terms of we're either going to find them tax savings and, and our fee is, you know, less than that, or they're not, and they get their money back. But then, and, and a second, it's, it's really a second kind of a, um, a second opinion on what your CPA is doing. It's a free second opinion, um, you know, without having to fire the CPA, move all the accounting, move all the passwords, you know, they don't have to do any of that at the initial stage. So I really am intrigued by um, your strategic tax planning. And is this a one-year event? Is this a three-year event? Is it a five-year event? Is it a case-by-case, what the person wants to do, whether they're 63, 53, 33? How do you uh, think through those types of issues? Great question. And broadly, yes, it is custom. Um, you know, because a lot of times, one of the big things we'll hear after creating the ta- and delivering to the business owner the tax plan, they'll be, well, why does and then and then sometimes we'll be on the call with their current CPA, and the, and we'll say, okay, we're going to do this, this, and this, and the current CPA will say, okay, okay, you know, because all of our tax plans have the Internal Revenue Code where we get this strategy from at the bottom of the page, so the accountant will go, yep, yep, we can do that. We can do that. And then privately, usually, sometimes we've had a few outbursts on the phone while the current CPA, the business owner tells me, well, why the hell weren't they already doing this? You know, and I've given up trying to really answer that. I, I, you know, I think it goes back to, you know, mindsets. And I think it's a bad tax preparation is a bad, is good people in a bad business model. You know, they're, they're, charging based on a flat fee. So they're not built. There's no built in monetary incentive to come up with all these tax strategies. And, you know, I always tell the business owner, look, you pay, you write the check to the government, not the advisor. So if he, he or she says, no, you can't do that strategy. And it costs you an extra 20 grand in taxes. Don't you really want to know that they're, they're actually saying you can't do it rather than just, it's going to be more hassle for me and I'm not getting paid extra you know, because the business owners are cutting that check. So what are some of the top things you think business owners are missing by not having a tax strategy? Again, a great question. One of the, one of the, um, because what happens is as we do these and we've done a fair number now, you know, each time we know the same things keep coming up and up, right? The same different issues or the same opportunities and strategies come up. And so one of our strategies that we really like that's that's shifted a little in COVID, but is still very viable, some in some cases more viable, is, is named after the one of the world's most famous golf courses. And so, you know, that's the strategy uh, dealing around home office and, and home rentals and different things that really can be a nice benefit. And it's just sitting there and most CPAs know about it if you bring it up, but they don't proactively put it out there. Another one, as we've already mentioned, a big one is selling your business. That's where I just see, you know, in certain instances, the, the, you know, the government can get 50% of what you've, you know, what you're selling the business for or 10. I mean, it's a giant difference and it just takes some planning and what happens. So somebody calls me and says, Hey, you know, Hey, Dusty, I just sold my business. We closed last week. I've got a $10 million check. What do I do? 
And I'm like, well, if you have a time machine, can you go back a month or preferably two years, right? Because I could have saved, you know, three or four million of that, but you've handcuffed me now because you've already done it and we're trying to do it in arrears. And so again, that's why the importance of planning. Medical is a huge one. People, most uh, uh, tax preparation we see, they're just not handling the medical right. So there's ways with different accounts and different medical that that you can get a lot of your medical treatments as write-offs and as deductions. And then the the one of the final ones, not the final one, but one of them that I'm going to mention is, is phantom income. And so if you look at the Forbes 400 or Fortune 500, whatever that big list of, you know, of, I think it's the world, but maybe it's America's richest people. It's interesting because they all either made it in real estate or got into real estate after they made it. So real estate beyond being a good uh, or can be a very good investment handled right is uh, the IRA, the government really wants to supplement that. So they really give very favorable treatments. And so real estate is a is one big area where you can actually create positive cash flows, meaning at the end of the day, at the end of the year, you made more money than you spent on the property. But the way that the deductions and depreciation work, it, you actually don't owe money, uh, don't owe taxes on that. And so one of the ways though we see all, all accountants, all CPAs know about depreciation, but they don't know how to accelerate that. So that's, we call it phantom cash flow. One of those ways we know how to accelerate it. It's not that complicated when you have the, the roadmap and that can really make a giant difference where you're able to take these write-offs against income. So even though you're positively um, cash flowing, you're not paying taxes on that money. Dusty, you mentioned um, the coronavirus health crisis, and I wanted to maybe take a, a, a dive into uh, have things changed in 2020, or are people asking you different questions, or are you giving different answers based upon where we are right now? Great example, uh, great question, because we're in December of 2020 right now. And so definitely in March and April and May, I was getting panic and all the PPP loans. Um, And I I will say this, let me throw this out for those that are still dealing with this. Um, The PPP, Payroll Protection Program loans, the, the government was quick to say they're not taxable and they're not. But the money you spent those loans on, those expenses, primarily payroll, rent and utilities, those expenses are not deductible as of right now. That's the, the, you know, the law right now. So in essence, it makes it taxable in a roundabout way. Now it's still free money. And if you get it forgiven, it's, uh, you know, it's still a great thing, but I want to, I think a number of business owners, that's why I also think they may change it, but a lot of business owners are going to get caught by that. Um, you know, but around the coronavirus, you know, I think now a lot of focus is on home offices and home, you know, employees at home and those kind of things. Most of the, and, and then most of the changes in during the coronavirus and the CARES Acts and all had to do with filing dates and timing and things like that. That'll probably go back to normal in 2021. Um, and, and that would lead to, because I think one of your next questions are what are the top questions we're getting? Um, so again, looking at the December 20, we're recording this. Um, the biggest question I'm getting is what is Biden going to do around taxes? 
And I, I tell people, you know, it's not even where you are politically, but the guy ran, you know, I, as far as I could tell, he only had a couple platforms. One of them was, I am going to raise your taxes. And, you know, he said it at every opportunity. So I think people need to be really vigilant even more so now um, because if they have some, keep having some fallout from coronavirus um, and taxes go up, that could be a bad uh, blend. And one other thing, I lost my train of thought there because this popped in my mind. One of, I think one of the biggest lessons business owners learn, hopefully they learn it early and quick, is they can come to the end of the year and their accountant shows them a P&L, a profit and loss sheet, right? And at the bottom, it says net 200 grand or whatever it is. And then, so they take that P&L, they go to the bank. They're like, see, my accountant said I'm profitable. I got 200 grand here. And there's nothing in the bank, right? They're, you know, they're overdrawn at the bank. They've got credit card bills. Then at the end, you know, around, because they always delay. So around April 7th, they go into the accountant's office and they say, well, good news. I don't have any money. I didn't make any money last year. And he's like, oh, contraire, that P&L, you know, there is showing profit. So what is an eye-opener to a lot of business owners is you can absolutely show profit in your business, not have any money in the bank, and owe taxes. So on the um, – you said actually before the election, and I can't remember the date, but I think it was a couple of months before, and I wrote it down. It was such a powerful quote. The math is in. Taxes must go up. We are in the worst debt-to-income ratio since 1946 – no matter who wins the election. So how are you helping customers or clients begin to think through some of those issues when we don't have a new administration in place, or is it simply a time for more caution? Well, I think it's, it's, um, it, it, it's a great quote, Tom, because you're a history guy. Um, so we both know what was happening in 1946. You know, we were coming out of um, the, you know, I think the biggest world war in the history of humanity and, you know, the funding issues there are, are obvious. So in 2020, you know, we are at, at a, we are at a similar debt to income ratio as that. Now you can say, yes, we're fighting the, the coronavirus pandemic and we are fight still fighting wars. And, you know, but what, I guess what it means is we are inching close to that point where the government is going to start running out of choices and they're going to have to raise taxes. And I always tell business owners, if you've got money, who do you think they're going to raise taxes on? The people who have no money or the people that have some money? You, you know, it's it's kind of like, remember that old guy, uh, Willie Sutton or whatever he said, he got arrested for bank robbing. And he's, well, why are we robbing banks? And he's like, well, that's where the money is. So, it's kind of a simple, you know, simple thing. You cannot raise taxes on people who have no money. They can't pay it. So I think it's, it's need for caution. And here's a couple things. Cause I, I wrote this down there too, uh, further on, but one of the things I don't like, so as a tax planner, I like to look at all of wealth. And so as you're building wealth, a lot of Americans are building wealth in what I call government sponsored plans, qualified plans. IRAs, 401ks, SEPs, 403Bs, 457s, you know, there's there's all variations of this. And one of the things I don't like, Tom, is when you are putting money in there, I like to say you're partnering with the IRS because I'll ask people all the time, they'll, you know, say, I got a million dollars in my IRA. And I'm like, great, how much of that's yours? 
And they look at me a little shocked and they're like, well, well what do you mean? I, you know, it's all mine. I'm like, well, you, you forgot about that little deal you made unilateral. I might say not your way, their way, unilateral contract you made with the IRS um, that they have a right to those taxes. They're just not going to pull them till you decide to start pulling the money out. So what's very nifty too, is if you have an, if money in those accounts for long periods of time and say you have it in the stock market, you're paying your advisor fees on their money. <laughs> so, and you're taking all the risk and all the, you know, I, I said, it's really like a modern day sharecropper system. You know, they take, you take all the risk, you pay all the fees, you do all the work. And at the end of the day, if you win, then they're going to come in and take this huge amount if you don't. And so here's the thing too, historically, believe it or not, we right now are in some of the lowest historic tax rates in our history as a nation. Right. And so I want to say, if you think like I do that taxes are going up in the future, that's back to that math quote in 1946. If taxes are going up, almost, I would say, inevitably have to go up, then at some point you could say, doesn't it, it might actually make sense to pay the tax now at a lower rate and put it into vehicles that grow tax-free and come out tax-free that'll off the tax rolls forever. So that's one of my niches that I really love is is showing people how to pay the least tax over time. Remember back to chess versus checkers. So the checkers move is just put, you know, put money into your IRA this year and you will not have to pay tax on it this year. But it's not tax savings, it's tax deferred. And so I'm saying the chess move might be you pay tax now if you're a low rate and then you're you're going to pull it out when rates are at 40 or 50% and you're ahead of the game. So the message that you bring of a tax strategy uh, and a, a really a long-term tax planning, uh, when people originally come to you, they say, you know, please help me this year. And you try to make them understand this is really a much more long-term strategic play. Does, does that message really resonate? You know, it does. It, it Obviously, it's a great question. They want this year. And, you know, what I tell people like right now, we're, we're, uh, working on multiple because we do a lot of tax plans in December because people are starting to realize and, and think about it. And so when we're doing it in December, there are some moves we can make for that current year. So for this year, 2020, but most of the strategies truthfully are better implemented over a full course of a year. So, you know, I had a guy uh, in November tell me, I, I, I think I'll wait till next year to do this. Why don't I, why don't I do this around April or May of, you know, next year? I'm like, well, that's great. You can do that. That's fine. But you have just eliminated half the year of tax deductions that we could maximize. So it is, it is this tension of short term. We, we try to find those wherever we can, but when we're looking back, it's, it's, it's much harder. But then we say, okay, so 2020, maybe we saved you a little bit, but also 2021 moving forward, here's these three strategies that are going to really reduce your taxes 30 to 50%, which is a very standard number for us. Dusty, we're near the end of our time, but I was wondering where can listeners go to find out more about you and find out more about your services? Perfect. Two places. One is the taxcure.com. So just T-H-E-T-A-X. C-U-R-E.com, the tax cure. The second, and that way, that's the way to get a hold of me and get on my schedule and, and all of that. 
But the second link is called taxpayermanifesto.com, taxpayermanifesto.com. And that's where they can go get my audio book by the same name, Taxpayer Manifesto, where we kind of go into a little more of the philosophy and the energy behind uh, what we're trying to do here. Dusty, one of the things I'd like our listeners to try and do is uh, connect with you. If they go on one of those sites, will they be able to uh, shoot you an email or have a calendar link or some other way where they can maybe get in front of you and talk to you? Absolutely. All of the above. Yep. Um, we got the Calendly link uh, to schedule right there because what I found is overall, you know, because people always saying, well, won't, won't your schedule be flooded? And it, it's funny how it just works out that most of the time it's people that are qualified and we should be talking to that we're talking to. It doesn't mean they all hire us, obviously, but it just works out to, to have that access. So there's plenty on those two, two websites, there's plenty of access to get a hold of me. Dusty, this has been a fascinating podcast and I greatly look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you, Tom. Thank you very much. Dusty Rollins here. Thank you so much for listening to Profiles in Persistence. If you are a successful business owner or entrepreneur who would like to be on this program, please visit thetaxcure.com slash podcast slash apply. And if you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag Profiles in Persistence. I love seeing your posts and your guest suggestions. We're regularly putting out new episodes and content, so make sure you don't miss any episodes and go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to our website, www.thetaxcure.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time.